Hey guys, welcome back. So in today's episode, we're going to be chatting about a very hot topic. It's been a hot topic for probably about what's it, five or six years now. We're going to be talking about this group of animals that we call support animals. So I'm going to get into some of the generalities regarding the distinctions between the three. And then I'm also going to talk about what the federal government says about them versus what individual states might say about it and how it doesn't quite work as we usually think it does in regards to what law trumps the other law. So stay tuned because this is going to be a very important episode for you to listen to regardless of whether you accept pets or not, because here's the thing, these that we're going to talk about, they don't count as pets. So even if you say you are a pet free property, you can't say that to these types of animals. So stay tuned. Building a real estate portfolio is as much about buying properties as being a de facto entrepreneur. I'm Karina Ufinger. I'm a multi-property investor, rental management company CEO, and also a landlord coach. I'm going to show you the systems and knowledge you need to thrive as a real estate entrepreneur. From your first property purchase to building a portfolio of passive income where you work less than five hours a week, you'll learn the essential information and skills to build a profitable portfolio and live the life you truly want. Whether you are well on your journey or just starting out, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Landlord Chick Podcast. I have to say this was by far the hardest episode I've had to record thus far, just because I kept stumbling over my words. This is a very important topic, so I wanted to be precise with the terminology I used, and I wanted to make sure I was explicitly clear with what I was trying to convey. Now, all that being said, I do also want to say that I am not an attorney. I have not worked for HUD. I have not worked for FHA ever in my entire life. I have gotten this information from HUD's website. I've gotten the information also from a presentation that was done by an actual HUD trial attorney last month. So I've taken this information and I have condensed it and I've taken out a little bit of the legal speak that appears in a lot of these documents and I've boiled it down into this episode for some easy digestion for us all. The important thing to do first is to talk about the types of assistance animals that exist according to HUD. Now, I see on the forums and sometimes in conversation that people use these terms in the incorrect fashion. So I do want to make sure that everyone understands, according to HUD, what the definition of these animals is. So for starters, if you go to the HUD website, they will use an over-encompassing term in a lot of their pamphlets that says assistance animals. So that is like a generic term. And out of that generic term, they have two specific animals that fit into that category. So the first specific type of animal is a service animal. This is the type 
of assistance animal that we are most readily familiar with. We might walk down the street and see somebody that is visually handicapped and we see the service dog that they have. Or we're in a restaurant and maybe there's another animal with somebody and it has the service animal uh, t-shirt, I like to call it. And maybe they're with that person because they are hard of hearing. But there's also service animals for things like seizures. I have a college roommate who recently was diagnosed with epilepsy. And as part of her treatment for it, she was provided with a service animal that is trained to basically anticipate her seizures. So the animal might cue in on some of the precursor symptoms that occur before she has one of her seizures. She can warn her and then that way Becky can get herself either to be around people or get her meds, whatever she needs to do to be prepared for the seizure that is coming. So in that instance, Becky's animal is also a service animal. The second category that HUD has is emotional support animals. These are the animals that are prescribed for people for mental health reasons. Specifically, it's usually tied to depression or anxiety. So someone may suffer from crippling anxiety and they are they're given an emotional support animal to help stem those feelings and to make them feel more comfortable, more confident, and able to live their life. So according to HUD, these are the two types of assistance animals that exist. I want to point out here that according to HUD, therapy animals are separate. So according to HUD, they don't acknowledge therapy animals. Now your state might, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but according to HUD, they are concerned with service animals and emotional support animals. Now what's really important to understand about the difference between these two is that with service animals, most times, landlords get in trouble for service animals when they ask for documentation. If someone's disability is readily present or known to you, you cannot ask for any sort of documentation regarding the animal, and you certainly cannot ask about the disability. So if you take in an application, and maybe there wasn't a visible sign of disability with that prospect, but on their application, they have VA benefits, um, disabled benefits, or they have social security disability benefits. That's a really good indication that they do qualify for a reasonable accommodation of a service animal. Because both of those programs, Veterans Disability and Social Security Disability, if you've never applied for either one of those, they are extremely rigorous to get 
there is a lot of documentation. There's a lot of doctor's visits. There's multiple hearings involved. So really, if you see either one of those on the application, that's a very good indication that this person does qualify for the reasonable accommodation of the pet. What's important to remember about service animals is that your ability to ask for documentation is severely, severely limited. You need to truly be careful when you're asking for any sort of documentation surrounding a service animal. In fact, HUD's recommendation is that unless you are thinking that the tenant or prospect is lying to you about the status of the animal, HUD does not recommend that you engage in the practice of asking for documentation for service animals. If you have indication that believes the person might not be truthful in what they're telling you, then I personally recommend that you consult an attorney quickly as far as what you can and cannot ask for, especially in your state, which we'll get to in a little bit. Because there are distinct things that you cannot ask for when you are trying to verify a service animal. You cannot ask for any sort of medical documentation regarding the person's condition that would be a violation of medical records confidentiality. So you cannot do that. The way you go about verifying the necessity of the service animal, it's a very, very delicate process. You cannot ask for certification of the animal that they have been trained to do such functions. So if you cannot ask for those two, you can see how it gets tricky to be able to legally verify the necessity and the use of the animal. And that's why I strongly recommend if you think some information is not truthful that you're receiving from the tenant, that you consult an attorney before you go any further with it. Now, let's move over into emotional support animals. These are the ones that you typically find we're going to use the word prescribed, prescribed for depression, anxiety, and to help with the mental conditions that a person might be facing. For ESAs, there are documents that can be requested. Typically, you're going to get a letter from a healthcare professional as the most common type of documentation. This letter is probably going to be general as to the condition that the tenant has, but it's going to likely be more specific as to how the animal assists with that person's emotional or therapeutic life. This letter can come from a physician, an optometrist, a psychiatrist, a psychologist. It can come from a social worker even. 
But that is the most common type of documentation when it comes to an emotional support animal. Now, this is different in a lot of states than a therapy animal. A therapy animal is usually, usually seen as a suggestion of a medical professional, usually a psychiatrist or psychologist, but it's not actually a prescription. And that's why I used that term earlier, prescription, even though I feel weird to say you prescribe a dog or a cat. This is why I wanted to use that word prescribed because I wanted to imply that for an emotional support animal, it is an active suggestion and an active decision on the part of the psychologist or whoever it may be to have this person seek out this animal. They are actively encouraging it. They are providing them the tools to do such a thing versus when a psychologist makes the recommendation, it's not necessarily being prescribed. They're not necessarily giving them tools to get that animal. They're just saying it might be well, but better for you if you get a dog or a cat and you have it at home so that when you get stressed, you can pet it and make yourself feel better. That's obviously dumbing it down very, very much. And I don't mean to offend anybody with the way I described that. But in that instance, the healthcare professional is not actually doing anything other than making the suggestion to make the condition where the emotional support animal is being received by the person in therapy. So therapy animals are going to be something different. Therapy animals are not recognized under HUD. With HUD, we are only dealing with emotional support animals and we're only dealing with service animals. So that's the important thing to remember is that there will be therapy animals sometimes. Depending on your state, you may or may not have documentation rights and other things with those. But then HUD does pay attention to service animals and emotional support animals. Now, I mentioned early on in the introduction that there's a little bit of an issue in regards to assistance animal laws and the difference between state and federal law. Now, normally we've been taught in like high school government class that whatever the federal government says goes, and if the states are contrary to it, well, then their state laws don't apply. Here's the interesting thing about assistance animals. That's not exactly true in this case. If state law is narrower than the Federal Fair Housing Act, you may be in compliance with the state law but you may violate the federal law. Yes, if the state law is narrower than the Federal Fair Housing Act, you may be in compliance with the state law, but violate the federal law. What's an example of this? Well, let's say that your state says that you can ask for documentation regarding a service animal in any instance. Well, that might be fine to, I'm making this up, 
that may be fine for Utah because that's what their state legislature says, but you can still be sued by federal housing authorities by HUD because they don't permit that practice. So that's where it gets a little wonky. It might be okay within your state government, but if it's not okay under HUD, HUD can still sue you. Now, if the state law is broader than the Federal Fair Housing Act, you may be in compliance with federal law, but also violate state law. So we now have the contrary to that. So what's really important to understand from this is that when you're talking about service animals, when you're talking about assistance animals, number one, you need to be sure of what your state law says. And two, you need to know what federal law says. And you do need to recognize where you might not be able to use the state law to its fullest extent because you would be in violation of federal law. So going back to that example about how maybe Utah, and I'm not saying this is true again, maybe Utah says you can ask any service animal you want for documentation versus the federal government says, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, you're not going to do that. That would be an instance where it's in your best interest to forego what the state law allows you to do because it is contrary to what HUD says you can do. So it's really important that you take the time to study your state laws understand what the federal government says about service animals and emotional support animals and where they conflict, you need to figure out whatever way is going to be the most legal for you to operate. This is a very huge topic, but it's also one that I don't feel very comfortable with delving deep into. So I wanted to give you such some general information, and I encourage you to seek out more help on this topic from perhaps an attorney, or maybe there are um, apartment associations in your state. Um, There's any number of probably local resources that you can get for help on this matter. But the last thing I want you to do is if you find yourself in a situation with an emotional support animal or with a service animal, the last thing on earth I want you to do is just post a question on a Facebook forum or some sort of real estate investor forum. Don't engage in that practice because you do not know if you are getting correct information. And if you act upon incorrect information, the fines for HUD are astronomical. Your first offense regarding discrimination and animal assistance, animal complaints fall into discrimination. Your first offense can be $10,000. So do not take Joe Schmo's word from California about your situation in Maine and use it as Bible and go and act on it. Talk to an attorney, talk to maybe the HUD representative in your state Maybe consult whatever branch of your state government handles this sort of thing and get clarification 
from the horse's mouth. If you can't do that, then consult an attorney. And really, if you can't get an answer from an attorney, I don't know what's going on because most any attorney would love to have a 10-minute chat with you about service animals and emotional support animals because they understand how much of a hot topic it is and how much people do need assistance navigating this right now because there is so much difference between what HUD might say and what your state might say. I hope you guys found this useful. If you did not, I want you to be honest with me because then it would tell me, okay, maybe in the future with these very complicated topics, ones that are very, very legally tied to our industry, that maybe I should just steer clear of them. So if you didn't like it, send me a message over on Instagram at Landlord Trick and let me know because then I will take it as good, positive, constructive feedback that, okay, I maybe shouldn't have done this one. It wasn't as formative as I meant for it to be. And let me know because then in the future, we will not cover these sorts of topics. But I will see you guys next time with a brand new episode.